0: Hi there, this is Erin Nicole, and you're listening to a special episode of the Move Happy Movement podcast. You might hear a difference in the volume and the reason for that, because I interviewed a family friend of mine with limited internet access using two cell phones, one of which stopped allowing for the speaker option to work. And we are continuing on with this and doing the best that we can to provide you good value. So you might have to adjust your volume, uh, but keep in mind that is the reason for the difference. Uh, When the creator of the universe calls you to do something, you do it because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And you're going to learn so much from the best friend of my father. Check it out. All right I am so excited. This is Erin Nicole host of the Move Happy Movement podcast. On this show I interview people from all over the world and sometimes I even talk myself and today we actually do have a guest who is a longtime family friend and I would consider best friend to my father and also spiritual leader. Uh, military veteran um, Worked also in the Navy shipyard You you wear lots of hats uh, But for those that don't know you Don't know your background Mr. Timothy Chisholm Take the floor Thank you <laughs> Thank you for taking the time today <laughs> Say that one more time Just remember
1: the movie with John Wayne
0: Chism. Love it. <laughs> so let's uh, let's dive back a little bit in time pre. Well, you've known me since before I was born because you've been friends with Dad for a long, long time. For those that don't know your story, um, let's talk. Let's talk early beginnings. What was Timothy like as a child? <laughs>
1: well, if you talked to my mother, I was horrible. If you talked to my older sister, I was horrible. But uh, I was. Uh just a normal little kid.
2: Mm
1: I went through elementary school where I met your dad, Bernie, was at uh, South Tacoma Baptist Church Mm -hmm. and uh, had all the kids there. And we went to church camp together. And so just, you know, growing up in the church and then by high school, uh, you know, your dad's path went to working for Piggly Wiggly, Mm -hmm. my path went to work for Lucky Stores, Oh, of course, you know, so we both did the same thing, but our paths kind of went away from each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was in high school, uh, my music director said that uh, the music director from from Central Washington College is going to be at Tacoma Community College mm-hmm. and I recommend that you go and sing for him. Mm. I said okay because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just kind of uh I wasn't planning on going to college I wanted to join the Air Force mm. but uh so I, I at the appointed time, I went to the Tacoma Community College, and I sang for Dr. Wayne Hertz. Mm. who was chairman of the music department at Central Washington. Mm-hmm. And I think I sang two songs, and he wrote some things down, and that was in the early spring. And then I did get noticed that he wanted to award me a college scholarship.
3: Oh! yeah so I had to make a quick decision.
1: Well, I said I wanted to graduate from high school mm-hmm. and go into the air force because at that
3: time Vietnam was going on. Okay. And most male graduates from high school were going to be drafted. Yeah. And sent to war. So I said, well, I don't think I have the
0: capabilities to be a marine or an army guy because of my great big thick glasses. Oh, so okay. I wanted to. I wanted to join the Air Force and learn
1: how to fix airplanes because I've always been fascinated with them. Mm -hmm. But I had this scholarship in my hand. I went, well, let's see here. Because at that time, if you had a college scholarship Mm -hmm. or you were in college, you could get a draft deferment.
3: Oh. And I went, well, it's not that I want to run off to Canada to avoid the war. Yeah. I, I would like to go to college.
1: So... I accepted the scholarship and I started at Central in the fall of '68. Wow! And uh, I mean that whole the whole summer, the whole year of '68 was just turmoil. There was unrest in, in the United States, mm-hmm. in the world. People were uh, well, they were protesting the war, mm-hmm. and then we had assassinations of Dr. Martin Luther King, yeah, Bobby Kennedy. And there were shootings on campuses. I thought the world was going to fall apart. Mm. But uh, uh, when they redid the draft, uh, they went to a, a lottery system. Okay. And so, if you had a certain number, when the draft came up, they would then you'd have to surrender yourself. But my draft number, my lottery number, was in the two hundred some uh, bracket. And they never called up past maybe 170 okay. on the lottery number. Hmm. So I just continued going to school. And when I wasn't in school, I was working for the grocery store. And um, that's where I ended up. Uh, and then the summer of, let's see, 60, 69, 69, 70, the summer of 1970, mm-hmm. I came back to Tacoma from Ellensburg mm-hmm. and then I went well I will try to get a job back at the grocery store well there was a kind of like a hiring freeze going on in the same way with the federal government mm. like, there was a, a, a freeze in hiring and so I couldn't get back to the grocery store and I went all around trying to get a job and couldn't get a job I was living in the basement of my folks's house mm-hmm. and uh in Tacoma? But in Tacoma. And uh, finally, I was able to get a part-time job as a fill-in checker with another grocery store. Mm-hmm. So I was able to earn enough money to go back to college the winter of
3: 1970. Okay. But because Central was on a quarter
1: system and not a semester system, so I was out of sequence with my classes okay, my, my breath requirement classes so at the end of the winter quarter and I just said well I don't have enough money to finish the spring quarter so I went around I got a job working for um, the Ellensburg school system as a custodian and I Stayed there in that job for four years. Mm-hmm. And I like the valley. It's, it's beautiful. It was very homey, farming community, mm-hmm. small. I, I was in a church over there. Just everything was clicking. Yeah, <laughs> But then again, uh, the job wasn't going to pay all the bills. If I wanted to buy a house or rent or something like that,
3: mm-hmm.
1: there wasn't. There wasn't enough money coming in. Okay. So I started going on a job search and I kinda had to reevaluate my life, going, Well, here I was in college training to be a music educator. Mm. That wasn't my passion. I like making stuff, building stuff, Mm -hmm. stuff. So I said I need trades training. Yeah. So I made I had to I had two choices. I could either pay for the training, you know, get a high paying job Mm -hmm. and then go to a technical school or I can find a job that pays me to learn, like an apprenticeship. Yeah. So I started making applications for the federal government, the state, and anything that had like a a trades apprentice program. Mm -hmm. And I took all my civil service tests. At that time, they had a... A civil service commission and when you want to apply for a job in that area you would take this battery of aptitude tests, hmm. English, math, composition,
2: everything, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm.
1: And then your name and your uh, grade would go into a file and then if they had a hiring opening based on that application and your aptitude scores then they would call you up for an interview
0: interesting
1: (laughs) nothing was happening for me Mm -hmm. and uh and i took those tests after i had started working for a um meat packing plant over in ellensburg okay and uh because i was making all kinds of money but i was working 12-hour shifts, six days a week. Oh, yeah. I was just getting worn out. Burnout, and then I, yeah. Then I injured my hand. Mm. And I was off on, uh, you know, uh, repair. Uh-huh. And so I go, well, that's when I needed to, to get out of that line of work. Yeah. And find something that would tra- train me in a trade. And I did. I went to welding schools. I, I applied for this and that. And nothing was opening up. Mm. So that's when I... Again, I moved back to Tacoma, mm-hmm. into the basement of my folks' house, mm-hmm. and I started applying everywhere, everywhere. And I was back in the South Tacoma Baptist Church, and and I was talking to one lady in the choir, and I showed her this list, 54 major entities that I had applied for, slaughterhouses, mm-hmm. uh the Bureau of Reclamation and all these things and she looked at me and she goes well I know somebody that can give you a job for six months I said you do and I said who she said well you're gonna have to go talk to my husband about that so I went to this guy that I would stand next to inquire he didn't even know his name well I knew his name but I didn't know what he did mm-hmm. so I I told him what his his wife had told me he kind of smiled and he goes well I'm the Air Force Reserve recruiter at McCord Air Force Base. <laughs> wow! <laughs> because, you know, it's like I put all that on delay when I was in high school. And yeah. I him about that. So I went out to McCord, and I had my interview with him. Uh-huh. And he said, well, this is what you can have to do. This is what you got to have to do. So I took all my aptitude tests again mm-hmm. and uh, my physical tests, and then uh, they accepted me on a delayed
0: enlistment. So that was 19... 19- 77. Okay,
1: and I flew to Texas for basic training in January of '78.
0: Nice. Was that Lackland so, Air Force?
1: Yes, nice. that's in San Antonio. Yeah. Texas. And then, so I went through all that misery. <laughs> I got out, and then I sent me to tech school at uh, Wichita Falls, Texas, mm. Super Air Force Base. So I got my uh, introductory training to multi-engine jet aircraft and I just loved it wow. and uh, uh, I put all the, the misery of basic behind me <laughs> but there were, there were some funny things that happened there but uh, it was only for six weeks and oh six weeks bit, only six weeks All huh. right.
3: Huh. well you know and then of course if you
1: go into army or marines your basic training is months
0: yeah, that's what I heard. Very, very physical.
1: Uh uh-huh. um, It was mostly they—they want to deal with your brain, you know, your aptitude. Can you do this? Can you do this? And all those things. So that's what we went through up at the uh, Shepherd Air Force Base in Wichita Falls. Mm. And boy, oh, I was in seventh heaven. You know, I mean, we got to work on the T thirty eights and the F fours. You know, you could just run your hand along the leading edge of the wing and mm-hmm. then, you know it's a guy thing
0: Yeah, <laughs> I remember you would be able to identify the kinds of airplanes that were flying overhead just by the sound of them and I'm like how do you know
1: <laughs> well that's a guy thing yeah
0: so anyway then I graduated from that mm-hmm. and uh, for a long
1: long time before that I had always wanted to have a very special birthday when I turned 28 years old mm-hmm. on the 28th of March.
0: Mm-hmm. Your golden birthday, right? A what? I think it's called your golden birthday. Well, I don't know, but I
1: wanted to have a real special deal. Okay.
0: Well, you know where I was?
1: I was all by myself at Shepherd Air Force Base, standing in a... Um, <coughs> Phone booth mm-hmm. to some longtime friends that mm-hmm. had moved to Pullman, Washington. Okay, and it was raining so hard that it was beating the red mud out of the dirt. And I I was so discouraged and disappointed that here I was turning twenty eight and <laughs> I was all by myself. Oh, the only special thing I could do was go to the Airmen's Club and and eat a, a host of snowball Okay. <laughs> 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 So that's been kind of my tradition. For every birthday, I'd have to have something like a hostess snowball Mm -hmm. or uh, a cake that Rebecca would make. Mm -hmm. All these things. So
3: Mm. uh, that's my story. Well, then I
1: went back, flew back to McCord, Mm -hmm. and I started my reserve commitment. So when I got back there, I had to start doing my 15 active days for that fiscal year. Okay. So I went to McCord and I went right to work and uh, going through my aircraft training and doing whatever they told me to do and I was a one-striper. What's that? Uh, airman. That's your basic airman. <laughs> that's the only. That's the stripe I had on my
2: my sleeve.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was just a, an airman. So then they they uh, in that reserve uh, squadron they started a thing where um they needed reservists to travel around the world to augment the active duty force whenever they needed extra people. Mm so they had this great big long list of places I go, oh. I said, Well I, I think I'll go to Hawaii. So yeah, check with Hawaii and <laughs> decided to go there on a on a working trip and so we Hopped in an airplane you know, at McCord loaded it up with all kinds of things. It was a training flight uh with the um aeromed squadron that did you know med- medevac you know they did things like that so the, the whole airplane inside was configured for uh, cots at, you know uh hospital It was a flying hospital oh wow so we flew from McCord down to uh, well, close to Sacramento, Travis Air Force Base.
3: Okay,
1: and and we picked up some more things and gassed up, and then we flew over the pond to uh, uh, Hickam Air Force Base there, and just outside Honolulu. So here I was in paradise, working as a just a beginner, and mm-hmm. uh, we were doing all kinds of inspections on the airplanes, what we're supposed to do, and and what uh, <clears throat> what the job was was. The Air Force would send their planes over there, and then they would pick up the uh, Army guys in Hawaii or in uh, Oahu and fly them to the Big Island where they could do maneuvers. Well, then the planes would leave in the morning and go to Hilo on the Big Island, Mm -hmm. fly back to Hickam. We would inspect them, we'd gas them, we'd do everything that we needed to do. Then in the afternoon, they would fly back to Hilo, pick up all the Army guys, and then bring them back. So that's where the active duty needed some extra help. And they ended up where we would marshal airplanes. That means we were parking them, and then we would inspect them. And then if they need gas, we'd gas them up, do all those things. Well, uh, that was in February of, what is that, 78? Mm Mm-hmm. And so here I was in paradise and it rained every afternoon. Oh. But that's okay. I was out there loving it because <laughs> where I lived, when it rained it was forty degrees.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well in Hawaii it's eighty degrees yeah. and raining and I'm I'm <laughs> I'm looking at all the wings doing my inspections and all that and if they needed gas we would start gassing up these airplanes and everybody else is either hiding underneath the wings or inside the cargo department. And they're looking at me saying, hey, are you nuts? And I said, no. I said, this is great. Where I work at McCord, when it rains, it's cold. It's freezing.
0: It's cold yeah.
1: <laughs> so anyway, we had a great time there. So, well, so we got all kinds of certificates of awards for that was the first time that a reserve unit did that type of work. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, they opened up another trip the next
3: year and so i went back to hawaii the second time nice (laughs) really enjoyed it well then i found out that you could go to japan Mm Mm-hmm.
1: ah so my brain started clicking and everything so i would go to japan spend my two weeks there Mm -hmm. doing all my inspections and gassing up the airplanes and and you know seeing a different part of the world on a and uh found out that I could buy so much stuff <laughs> for, for dirt cheap uh-huh. So that's where I ended up taking all my uh, all my Tdys requirement for the reserves to mm-hmm. Japan and then uh, one one summer um, they required me to go to management school NCO school mm-hmm. so I spent uh, Fifteen days going to NCO school, learning how to be a boss. And uh, I didn't mind the Air Force concept of management. There, It was servant management. Mm. They would do as much as they can to help the, the regular guys get their job done. I like that. Well, the management concept at the shipyard uh-huh. isn't that way. So I was very frustrated when I worked for the for the Navy. But getting back to Air Force, uh-huh. um, by that time, let's see, I was a I was NCO, so I was a sergeant. Um, let's see, what year was that? So So by well, that time, I'm starting to date <laughs> and uh, got married to Rebecca in 1982. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, how did how did that go come about?
1: That came about by a little letter. Uh huh. That came from a lady in Ellensburg. Okay. Elder lady, she sent me this letter, and I was a member of a singing group out of the church. Mm-hmm. It was called Declaration, mm-hmm. and we would go to other churches that had social functions that wanted a Kind of like a concert.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, they had a concert uh, set up uh, with our group down at First Presbyterian Church, downtown Tacoma, Mm -hmm. big place, big church, and uh, they said that they would provide dinner for the members of the group, spouses, or dates, or friends, you know, I went, oh, okay. So I got my little black book out. <laughs> of course, it wasn't black; it was it was brown. And I had all all these girls' names in there, and I'm calling them up. This is on a. Is Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday mm. uh, it was Wednesday or Thursday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The concert was Friday night.
0: Okay. So, I'm calling all these gals, "Oh no,
1: I'm busy, No, I have this date. No, I can't do it," and all that. Yeah, well, this piece of paper fell out of my little black, my little brown book. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, "Oh, here's a phone number that Helen Alley sent me from Ellensburg. It's been in this book for a year and a half, maybe two years. Uh-huh. So I said, "Well, I've been shut down <clears throat> all night, so I call this number. <laughs> well
2: she didn't live at this number mm.
0: she answered the phone it was her folks's number okay so she answers
1: the phone i tell her who it is she says well I'm finally <laughs> you know you've called me up and i go well this is what's going on all that i said do you want to go and have a spaghetti dinner and, or whatever it was and
2: uh
3: uh-huh.
1: concert and she said, well, I think that this is all worked out by God because I am free Friday night. Aww. Oh, great. <laughs> so I said, where, where can I pick you up? I said, this is when I get home from Bremerton and all these things.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, by that time, that's right, I missed a step. Uh, I got called up to work at uh, the shipyard as a helper. Oh, Yes. So I take all those tests again. All those aptitude tests. What? Yep. <laughs> so I took them all up. Anyway, they they hired me as a helper, and my dad was working up there at the shipyard. Oh, as an electrician.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So. Wasn't he I a said, pastor well, too? What? Wasn't he a pastor too? A part-time minister. Yes. Part-time. He'd have some churches that needed a like an interim pastor mm-hmm.
1: and all that, but. They they never paid good enough to
3: for him to support, you know, six kids, yeah, a
1: house payment
3: and all that, yeah.
1: So when uh, Vietnam got really hot, uh, they needed people up there, and so because of his Navy experience before World War II, as an electrician, mm-hmm. they hired him on that basis. Plus, he had worked for the Northern Pacific Railroad. Hmm. And he rewound uh, armatures for the traction motors on the diesel electric locomotives.
3: Oh, wow. So
1: he worked for the North Pacific, and your grandpa, uh, Rice, worked for, I think, the Milwaukee Railroad. Yeah.
0: Huh. So anyway, that's kind of—anyway. Lots of connections
1: so there. I took all the tests, and I, mm-hmm.
0: my dad says, take
1: it. Take whatever they offer you. Get in the door.
0: Yeah. Because what I didn't know,
1: that they would do these internal hiring for, like, Trades Apprentice. Uh-huh. And, of course, the light goes off in my head, and I go, whoa.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I had my interviews with the
3: machinist shop, the sheet metal shop, mm-hmm.
1: the ship fitter shop, Shop 64, which was uh, working, uh, a carpenter,
3: mm-hmm. carpenter's work. Uh, so I start thinking a little bit,
1: and I go, well, you know, everything that we have in our machinery, our TVs, our watches, is all a whole bunch of little pieces of sheet metal. Mm-hmm. So I picked sheet metal. So I had my interview, another interview with the sheet metal shop, and they hired me as a helper. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I
1: got into the sheet metal shop. And I think two months into that, they opened up the internal trades apprentice program. So guess what? what? I had to take all those tests again. <laughs> but you know, after taking them four times, <laughs> okay. I had all this stuff up in my head. Yeah, I, I got a high score. I was like ninety. Let's see, ninety-eight on the trades apprentice or uh, trades helper, mm-hmm. and ninety-seven on the apprentice test. Wow! So I had my interview again.
0: <laughs> smarty, smarty.
1: So, so in a C. That was October. Yes, October when I when I was granted the apprenticeship and I started my schooling in January of. Uh, so I went in there in seventy nine. So nineteen Mm-hmm. So I went through all my trades training, and the way it worked is. You go from uh, different sections of the sheet metal trade that they do here in the shipyard. Mm-hmm. And the degree that I was shooting for was um, uh, Marine Sheet Metal Technology. Mm. Okay, so I had two and a half years of basic college. Mm-hmm. I took some classes, Community College of the Air Force, when I was in there. Okay. And then I went four more years for the trades apprentice to get a two-year degree. So I kind of sound like Forrest Gump. You know, Forrest Gump took was something like five or six years to go through college <laughs> to get his degree. But I I finally got my degree. Mm-hmm.
3: So I worked in that field for the rest of my
1: uh, working career. Yeah, that's And neat. then by 1983, my commitment to the Air Force was coming up uh-huh. they started a uh, a program where they were trying to keep these experienced guys into the Air Force Reserve uh-huh. so they would say look we'll, we'll offer you this much if you if you re-up and uh, by that time I was married I was going through all the schooling at the shipyard and my body was changing and I couldn't maintain my Air Force image. (laughs) So uh, I said, well, let's see. For me to get a retirement from the Air Force Reserve, I'd have to go 14 more years doing this kind of rotten stuff because (laughs) they had taken away from the maintenance squadron. They had a whole restructure of uh, the wing. And they said, well, okay, We're not going to let just the basic maintenance squadron take care of when the airplane needs an engine removed or a panel fixed or something like that. They're going to make a specialist. So they called them field specialists. Okay. Well, they were all filled, so I couldn't get into that. And they sent me over to what they call reconfiguration. And that's when the airplanes came in, we'd have to take out Maybe the like the cargo pallets and all that, and reconfigure the inside of the plane for hauling uh, troops, paratroopers, okay. or um, we put in what they call Boeing seats, and it would be what they call a Mac flight, where they would fly passengers because Air Force and military personnel could get a special um, flight anywhere in the world. <laughs> through these Mac flights. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had to keep changing these uh, configurations. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't that busy doing that. And when you come in on a weekend, most of the time they want you to retrain with uh, certain things. And so you either sit in a classroom or you watch uh, slideshows or you meet with a trainer and they show you this – But then two days and it's all done. Some days you didn't get to do anything. Just sit in a hangar. And I go, I can't stand this because I'm an active person. I didn't want to sit around in a smoke-filled office and listen to vulgar stories and all that. So I just said, well, enough is enough. So when they didn't assign me to do anything, here I was a staff sergeant now.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I said...
1: Ah, the latrine was just a mess. So I'd get out the buckets and the mops and all that, and I'd spend my my hours cleaning out the restroom. Mm-hmm. Well, one Sunday afternoon, this uh, active duty Air Force guy—I think he was—he was a private first class or, or whatever. I think he only had two stripes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And here he walks into the restroom to change clothes.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And he sees this staff sergeant in there cleaning out toilets and sinks and scrubbing the floors and emptying the garbage. And he looked at me and he goes, are you being punished? I go, no. I says, I am so bored <laughs> just sitting around in a hangar. So I says, I decided just on my own to clean up the latrine. Oh, he said, well, can I change my clothes in here? Well, I said, it's kind of wet right now, so why don't you try another one? He went He went out and did another one, but mm-hmm. that was it, you know. So I met with the first sergeant and the wing commander, and they were trying to recruit me into committing to another six years. I uh-huh. said no. I just said no, and I gave him my reasons, and... uh I said, it's just not right that a 32-year-old body has to compete with an 18-year-old body mm-hmm. when it comes to weight and physical abilities. I said, when I joined up, they had an age-weight chart. Yeah. So if you were a certain height and you were a certain age, they allowed you to weigh a certain amount. So I was always within regulation. Uh huh. They changed it
0: to the Everything
1: BMI to be the same. Well, not just not just body mass index, but it just had to do with your weight and your image and and what you could do. So we had to perform uh, some physical uh, running. We had to be able to run mm-hmm. uh, at, at a certain time. We had to be able to lift all these things. And supposedly have a nice, slim, trim body like an 18-year-old. And I says, I just can't do it. I can't see myself starving myself all the time to try to meet those regulations. I said, I come from a long line of plumpies. (laughs)
2: People that are plump. They're,
1: they're They're not overly obese, but I said they're plump. And that's what you're telling me, that I'm too plump. All the other older guys, you know, they were master sergeants, Mm -hmm. all these things. They were able to starve themselves and maintain the
2: physical requirements. And I said, well, I don't want to do this for 14 more years.
3: Yeah, (laughs) that's fair. Because I said, I'd probably get kicked out.
1: (laughs) So I said, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. I finished, finished, uh, see, that would be uh, 83. Well, anyway, one day the base was so active
3: Mm -hmm.
1: that I really enjoyed myself. I was actually able to work on the airplanes in a crisis.
0: Ooh. What was going on?
1: That was May 18th, 1980. Mount St. Helens blew up. Ooh. And I was sitting in the right seat in the flight station of 141
3: mm-hmm.
1: with my trainer and we were the job was we were going to start taking out the navigation panel for, you know in the flight station because they had gone to a, a GPS system hmm. it was just a little little black box that sat on the 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 cowling or the cover for all the instruments that the pilot and co-pilot could look at mm-hmm. so we were going over our tech manuals and I was sitting in that seat and I looked out the, the cabin window, and Fort Lewis, the perimeter of Fort Lewis, is a bunch of trees, and of course they border McCord Air Force Base on the south end of the runway. So periodically, Fort Lewis would have uh, fire drills and uh, things like that, or set off some Bomb or something like that so they could put it out Mm -hmm. over all those uh fir trees at the south uh, end of the runway i'm looking out there and here's this inky black cloud laterally going over those trees i'm going wow i said hey keith i said is fort lewis having a fire drill he looked out there and he goes well, that looks pretty big for a fire drill. I went. You think that might be Mount St. Helens? He goes. Well, I don't know. Why don't you go find out? So I went. Up, got out of the aircraft the flight station. Went over to a what we called the flight line shack. Mm-hmm. That's where we had uh, toolboxes and specialty tools for certain jobs on the planes. So I went in there, and this guy had the radio going. And, I mean, everything was coming apart. The state patrol was doing all this. All the news programs was doing this. Well, then that base came alive. They were starting to call up every fly boy that was available. Mm -hmm. We had to go around and gas up the planes that could fly. Mm -hmm. And the uh, planes that couldn't fly, we had to put uh, covers on all the engines and all the doors. I mean, we worked nonstop through lunch up to the uh, evening shift um, getting those airplanes ready to get out of there or get protected so the ones that could fly they they got the Flyboys in we did our inspections we launched them they flew well they I'd say at that time the wind was coming from the south so they flew into the south and then they diverted over towards the west so they wouldn't fly into the ash cloud and so all those birds that could fly went to uh, Travis down there by Sacramento, California,
2: hmm.
1: and all the other ones, we covered them up. So that was an exciting day, and then that evening, that Sunday evening, uh, I had a rehearsal at the church, so I drove to the church, and it was just this. By that time in the afternoon, it was brown and gray, this pillar just mm-hmm. going up, mm-hmm. you know, 30 40,000 feet, and it was the ash cloud. Had gone all the way to Mount Rainier mm-hmm. you know, on the certain, and then south it was it was something, and of course the freeway was just uh, going crazy, and Washington State Patrol cars going everywhere, especially down by the Toutle River, which is on I five down there by Castle Rock. But mm. so I enjoyed that day. I actually got to do something productive.
0: Yeah, you had been preparing, gassing up the airplanes. That yeah. Was,
1: that was fun for me,
0: and that was before I was born. But I remember people talking about it as um, the the ash had traveled around the whole earth. I think, yep, yep. that's incredible. So you got to help out, out with that. It
1: took a
0: while. <laughs> it took a while for the and winds Rebecca, to. She worked at the Holiday Inn in Ellensburg. Ah. Oh. Cousin was there visiting
1: so they woke up that Sunday morning
3: mm-hmm. and
1: they happened to look towards the West uh-huh. and hear this. Well, they thought it was a huge storm cloud coming at them and they found out that it was Mount St. Helens. Mm-hmm. So uh, Rebecca was called to work and Vicky come to help and <laughs> everybody thought it was doomsday that, that holiday Inn bar and in restaurant, everybody was drinking and, <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: and it, it, she's got pictures.
1: I gotta find these pictures and give them to somebody, but yeah it was it was like nighttime during the day during the middle of the day,
0: huh So she
1: started collecting some of this ash and she had to take a greyhound bus. This was a few days after that. She took a greyhound bus back to spanaway- mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody found out that she had these little glass vials full of Mount St. Helens ash. <laughs> oh, can we Can we have – I'll pay you this. I, I want this. She says, no, she says, it's, it's everywhere over there. <laughs> 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 and in Yakima, they, there's pictures of people actually shoveling this stuff off of their, the roofs of their houses.
0: And Interesting.
1: Because it was just adding so much weight.
0: Yeah. I wonder – If it was getting in chimneys and stuff and clogging.
1: It was getting into everything. Into everything. Interesting. It wrecked so many Washington State patrol cars. Really? What they ended up doing is they would hook up the air intake from the engine Mm -hmm. into the passenger compartment Mm -hmm. of the
3: state patrol cars. So Mm
1: -hmm. it would suck up, suck the air out of that Mm -hmm. instead of taking the atmospheric air that was full of ash. Yeah. But still, the engines would clog up and. They were just destroyed. Oh. Because it's just like a real fine... Well, it's gritty, you know? It's mm-hmm. just, it's like glass. Brush it up, glass. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was an exciting day at McCord. And then I think I was all done with my commitment a year after I got married.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And all those clothes went into the closet. <laughs> <laughs> they probably took... Maybe four or five months for me not being able to fit into them
0: <laughs> hmm she was feeding you good
1: well, feeding me good <laughs> i wasn't I wasn't trying to push it away and, and all that stuff, and I had been assigned to a swing shift up there okay, so uh during the day, she would go to work at the bank and I would lay on the couch and watch all these <clears throat> reruns of all these shows that I'd missed. Through all the years and mm-hmm. i started eating popcorn and candy and uh at lunch and then i would uh leave um to catch my ride to work and come home late at night and it was just a vicious cycle but mm-hmm. that's how it started
0: that's a lot and my
1: body kept changing mm-hmm. and it still is changing <laughs> yeah
0: mine's changing too <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's something, you you. if you want to, you can fight it. You can be like some of these athletes that you can watch on TV, but, Mm -hmm. you know, that's all they do. Yeah. They work at, you know, just working their bodies and all that, and you've gone through all the training to do all that kind of stuff, but Mm -hmm. it just, it happens. I have a friend over in Ellensburg, and that was one of the reasons why I went to Ellensburg for a little vacation. Uh Uh-huh he's 99 years old. Oh. And he can walk. Mhm. And he's living in a little uh one room apartment mm-hmm. at a uh retirement home. Mhm. But uh, uh he was like a, a second dad to me. Oh yeah. And we we go hunting and all these things when I f- went over there, I was 18. I left when I was in 1977, so I'd be uh That's uh, nine years, so
2: I was Mm 20-something,
1: and uh, they just kind of brought me into their family, and I don't know, what was that noise? Oh, I just had a power outage. Oh. Yeah, sorry. You can edit that out.
0: (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) I heard
1: this beep, and all of a sudden, all the lights are starting to blink on. So anyway... What else do you want to know? 33 and a half years, I worked at the shipyard. Mm -hmm. I worked on the ships. I worked on the atomic ships. I worked on the atomic subs. That's cool. I built sheet metal ventilation for not only the ships and the subs, but for the um, buildings around the shipyard Mm -hmm. on one of my assignments. Um, The power outage... Oh, I want my TV to come on, so I gotta turn it off. Whoopsies.
0: We don't hear <laughs> <It's
1: crazy>. it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, it was fascinating work. It wasn't fun. It mm. was uh, sometimes very, very physically uncomfortable, especially when we had to go into some of the uh, reactor plants on the smaller submarines. Mm-hmm. There was no ventilation, mm. it was hot as Hades and they, the radioactive uh, control people would say, okay, you can only be in here for a certain amount of time. Otherwise, you were going to collect too much radiation. radiation. We, we called it zoomies. Yikes. And uh, So we would wear our dissymmetry and try to get our job done as fast as we could, get all the contamination swipes checked and everything, and then remove some whatever we were assigned to remove from the reactor plants.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, then uh, I was assigned to a group. Uh, the sheet metal trade took care of testing ventilation
2: mm-hmm.
1: on the ships. So we had to start testing the ventilation of all these places, and some of the reactor plants had their own ventilation system. Well, the uh, Environmental Protection Agency
3: mm-hmm.
1: and the Puget Sound Air Quality Control Board. What was the other environmental? Anyway, we had to satisfy three umbrellas of control Mm -hmm. over uh, what's exhausted to the environment. Oh, So we had to fill out all this paperwork for uh, Puget Sound Air Quality Control, uh, Environmental Control, the EPA. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then the... uh, Naval Sea Systems Command that, that deals with the the Navy's reactor plants, some of that. We had to make out reports for that. So we started doing temporary ventilation into these active reactor plant compartments. So we got to work on these these those huge supercarriers like the Nimitz and everything and mm-hmm. put in temporary ventilation into their reactor plants. Wow. so that was very interesting because you go into those plants you think that because the ship is so big that these plants are big yeah. but the compartments aren't that big and the reactor plant itself isn't that big and you, you go in there and you just get amazed that a group of people can design and dream up this kind of propulsion, mm-hmm. that in three minutes, the reactor plant commander could turn that reactor on, and you have to your disposal 500,000 horsepower. Wow. And those reactor vessels, their fuel lasts for decades. Really? Yes so here I am I'm standing on this vessel it has uh, control rods coming out of the top mm-hmm. we call them spark plugs so I, so we're running this temporary ventilation in there mm-hmm. and of course all that air that gets exhausted from that compartment mm-hmm. has to go through uh, hePA filters particle mm-hmm. samplers mm-hmm. uh uh, what we called sniffers <laughs> to uh, make sure that there was no radioactive particle being exhausted to the environment. So that was interesting. We set up these huge uh, air conditioning and uh, fan complexes mm-hmm. on the hangar bay to go into these reactor plants. Now, these carriers, they only got two, two reactors.
0: Mm. So what happens if you know, those go down?
1: What's, what's that?
0: What happens if the reactor goes down? Well, they've
1: got all kinds of rules for that. Uh, like one other reactor can take up what they have to do, but that's never happened.
0: Oh, like the kidneys? Uh, the,
3: the
1: what?
0: Like the kidneys, if you lose one then the other one takes over? <laughs> well, that's a good analogy, <laughs> but no. Um, they'd, they'd fix it. They'd come somewhere in the world and fix it. That's cool. Or they would send a team from Puget Sound
1: and... Send them to Guam or to Japan, mm-hmm. and we had a team over in Japan uh working on the George Washington, which is a Nimitz class carrier, a super carrier
2: hmm.
3: and
1: they had the huge earthquake over there, and the thesa or the what do you call it tidal wave
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> and what they decided to do that they
1: to avoid any radiation spill from the plant in Japan that blew up mm mm-hmm. They took the ship to sea, and then they continued their work uh, on the ship at sea, whatever they could do. Oh. Yeah, it was very interesting. I never went, but, you know, we got reports on that. Yeah. But uh, it was just uh, something. So uh, working on that stuff, it was wow-type work. Mm -hmm. It was very physically uncomfortable, hot. Mm-hmm. physically, you know, I had to pick up these vent pieces and, and everything. And so my body started to break down and and I told them about it and I had all kinds of excuses and letters from doctors and all that. So they decided to move me to uh, um the sheet metal shop where we we prefabbed uh prefabrication of parts for the ships. Hmm. I ended up in label plates. And when they come into the shipyard, we've got thousands of label plates that we have to make for the carriers and the submarines because everything has to be labeled.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So we'd get these engineering drawings and all that, and I would teach apprentices, you know, on the computer work and the program and how to put that image onto the metal and, and send it out to the ships.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's how I, I finished I wanted to go 35 years Mm -hmm. to get a a, a good retirement, but Rebecca was sick, and Mm. she needed um, care, and I needed to be there to drive her around everywhere after her heart surgery, Mm. so I did 33 and a half years.
0: That's still a long time. Yeah. That's a long time, and I remember... What's that? Don't miss the commute. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. I uh, in high school, well, it was in junior high. I had made up some core values from a book I had read, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. I had handwritten the the sheet and had it taped on my mirror, so I'd look at it every day. You know, values and life and dating and all that. And you know, Rebecca with her sneaky self took it one day when I wasn't looking, and and then you uh, made with your sheet metal. Access. You made it uh, more professional looking, and uh, I've I've had the, I've kept it for all the moves. I did lose it in this last move with the separation of my husband and I, but I think I'll get it back one day. We'll see. But uh, yeah, you yeah, show
2: me that because I don't remember making that for
0: you. Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, I don't have it in my possession right now. So if he's kept it, then hopefully I'll get it back one day. But uh, I do remember you taking the time to make it and. Um, that, you know, that was, that was neat. Cause you were kind of like a second father to me, like your friend in Ellensburg. And, yeah. uh, I always appreciated that. Yeah. Um, you've done a lot, you've had a lot of different twists and turns in your, in your career journey and whatnot. Um, you know, with the pandemic and just with everything going on in the world right now, I imagine that there's people that are struggling, paying their bills with the economy as, as it is in the United States, but also I think all over the world, I think we're all struggling. You know, nobody worked really in 2020 you know, except for HVAC. You know, I'm sure that was a great industry to be in. Uh for those that that might be having a full-time job and maybe needing a second full-time or a part-time to you know make sure their housing is covered and different things what are some some tips and tricks you could share as far as keeping a positive mindset what what helped you um uh, when you were struggling to you know get those jobs like the 55 places you applied what what kept you going
1: Well necessity really cuz mm-hmm. you know, I needed a job mm-hmm. but uh you know, you get a shut door. You get a shut door. You just go, you just go into doors, and if they get shut, they get shut. Mm-hmm. You believe in a higher power. Mm-hmm. A lot of people call that God. That you know, there's he's watching out for you. There's something there that he wants you to do. Mm-hmm. It's a human divine cooperation. Mm. You got to do the work. Yeah, you got to go out there and and, and do that. Yeah, the farmer. That prays for rain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You got two farmers. One farmer says, "Well, I'm not going to plant till it rains." Mm-hmm. Well, the other farmer says, "No, I'm going to plant and rely on you know the cycle. Yeah, and get rain." Well, this the farmer that plants gets his crop. The other one doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you get sometimes you get depressed. You go, "Well, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hire me." Mm. And you just you go through that. And the way that you react to that is based on your temperament. Mm. And I took a study uh, when I was in college,
3: Mm.
1: and it was based on Dr. Tim um, LaHaye's book, Spirit-Controlled Temperaments. Mm. And it was an eye-opening thing. Well, I never knew about this stuff. And uh, he explained the different types of temperaments. He used scriptural examples then he said there are certain blends of these temperaments some people are are um well anyway i won't explain all that you can
0: it sounds interesting that
1: out, but i found out why i reacted a certain way
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i go oh okay hmm. so i have to look at that well then you also go around people that know you will also put their input in that this is how you react to things mm-hmm. this is how do you deal with people? So based on that temperament that you are, that's how you're going to react to problems.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: some people, they, they go apply for one job. They go, oh, I'm not going to get hired. So they they go live on uh, Social Security or something.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> or they sit on a corner with a sign mm-hmm. that says, feed me you know instead of actively going out and doing work Mm -hmm. so dealing with all that
0: that depends on your temperament okay people get so depressed that they just they can't handle life anymore yeah do you think that people can change their temperament no no i i don't think they can change it they can
3: change if they know how they're going to react, mm-hmm. they
1: can control that.
3: Okay. You know, it's just like if,
1: if someone slaps you in the face, how are you going to react?
0: Yeah. You can't change like the fact that you they slapped you. The cheek. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Most of us aren't going to do that. Most
0: of us are going, to whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you watch these professional football players, they get,
1: they get into slug fights. And I go, this is crazy. They got a helmet on, and mm-hmm. pads and all mm-hmm. that. They're not going to get hurt, but that's how they react to something. They just start swinging their fists. Well, with temperaments. Well, then when you find out the way you are, then you go, oh, that's why, that's why I got hurt by what this person said or what this person did.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So you should go, okay, that's my tendency. So when... Rebecca passed away
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I was falling into a
3: trap Mm. the the male tendency
1: when they get wounded or hurt Mm -hmm. is to crawl in a cave Mm -hmm. and shut the door
3: Mm. and I was catching myself falling into that because
1: I didn't want to see people I didn't want people to see me cry or, or think well you know you should get over it and all this and I go well this isn't good so I started meeting with a pastor that mm-hmm. had gone through the same experience, and we met four or five times, and Mama Sortini's and coffee and mm-hmm. everything at the church. He was on staff at the church, mm-hmm. and he recommended that I join a support group. Well, most guys don't want to do that.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't want to go to a support group and and talk when I'm wounded. Yeah. But I said, "Well, that's the recommendation, and I, I have to fight my temperament. I have to fight my tendency mm-hmm. to withdraw. Mm-hmm. So I presented myself into a support group, and it helps. you know, you mm-hmm. find out you're not alone. Yeah, grieving, but uh, every person in there is a different blend of temperaments, and they're going to react to a loss like that. Yeah, And gender differences. Mm-hmm. Guys grieve different than women.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you just have to accept that, you know, so you're in this group, everybody's crying except the guys. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And one guy, he was so closed-mouthed, he didn't say nothing for two months.
0: Really? Uh, except,
1: you know, well, this is my name. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how you 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 know you find out what yourself is, and then
0: yeah,
1: when you're in these depression type positions,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I don't know, I've never gone through, uh, I've been without work, but I've never gone through an economic depression like my folks did. Yeah, my generation went through a huge worldwide economic depression, and. course there was a lot of mistakes made and everything but they had to go through that
3: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and they know what it's like to not have anything to eat yeah or their parents losing the farm or jobs or and that that shaped them so when they went through world war ii and then they started rebuilding uh the world in a sense Mm Mm-hmm. They carried some of those things with them about not spending a lot of money, uh, going without a lot of things,
3: mm-hmm.
1: saving. They, my folks, saved and saved and saved. My dad had three jobs. My mom had oh wow two, uh, taking care of a bunch of screaming kids and yeah. worked for a glove
3: company, oh.
1: manufactured gloves, and it was just. Work. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then they they told me the stories of their parents. You know, the generation that <laughs> had to raise kids during the Depression,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it was nonstop work.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So that instilled some things in us when we heard those stories. Yeah. Now, uh, my folks, they provided a. Uh, uh, housing and mm-hmm. meals
2: mm-hmm. and
1: christmas mm-hmm. i can remember maybe two christmas presents
3: mm-hmm. but they still provided
1: that and then when i was in late elementary school uh, let see well anyway i never had a summer you know most kids look forward to summer because they, they just we had to go to work
0: did you what did you do for work in the summers
1: worked in the berry fields. Uh ah. so the first one was strawberries. Okay. That came in first. Then raspberries. Then we had to go to the bean fields uh, in Fife and Milton. Hmm. And we picked beans cuz that's when they came in towards the end of summer.
0: Mhm.
1: And so the money that we made I had to turn over to my parents. Really? Because that's what they would use to buy our school clothes and school supplies. Huh. So, but yet, some of that money, they said, okay, we learned our math. A tenth of this money, you have to give to the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's that's required. Mm -hmm. So they'd show us the scripture. So we were, we reluctantly... You know, okay, out of every dollar, I got to give the church a dime.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And boy, yeah, yeah just, that really hurt. But
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: during the year, during the school year, if we needed something and all that, well, uh, my dad would open up what we called the strong box. It was a metal box with a big, heavy lock on it. And that's where he would keep, you know, some money. In our account, each envelope had our names on it, and then uh, he would keep some of our savings bonds because every birthday, our grandparents that lived in Iowa would Mm. give us a savings bond. Mm. So we kept all those bonds. Well, of course, there was you know each one of those bonds had a different time maturity on them. Mm -hmm. So when it was time for me to go to college. I cashed all those in, yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't that much. I still had to have money from my savings account,, mm-hmm. and when I was in college, I had to work, you know,
0: yeah,
1: so it just wasn't a free ride,
0: yeah, and the government didn't have the FAFSA back then, did they, where you could apply for there some, federal there loans was some financial aid there was, okay, you had to go through a major
1: paper work, well, then. They would base it on your parents' income. Mm -hmm. And I go, wait a minute. You can't, you can't base, you can't steal from my parents Mm -hmm. to put me through college. This is my decision. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I feel too. (laughs) And I go, you know, I'm paying for this. Mm
0: That's one of
1: the things they said. If you're going to go to college... You're going to pay for it. If You want a car? You're going to pay for it. Yeah. If you want a car? You can have to pay for the insurance.
3: Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> well, I could do all that when
1: I was in uh, working for the grocery store. Uh huh. But when I was in school, or I should say college, you know, you spend up to midnight every day studying and trying to do this and going through your performance classes and, mm-hmm. and all these things, and you, you just. Whoa, you're just looking forward to a, a rest. Yeah. And, but, so anyway, that goes back to the work ethic thing. Yeah. So when I got to be 16, well, I didn't go out to the berry fields anymore. I didn't like that kind of work. <laughs> <laughs> but I got a job at the grocery store.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, and I think so, those are. Yes,
1: that kind of boosts up your your feelings. You know, you don't get depressed. Yeah. But you know, trying to recommend that to other people, you don't you don't know their temperament. You don't know their position. That's true. And yeah, your heart might get tugged on to help these people that are sitting on the corner with a cardboard sign. But you know that because of what you're told by. Police and social agencies is that if you give them money, they're just going to go buy drugs mhm or or beer or something, yeah, so I keep driving around, I always have bottles of water in my car or my truck, uh-huh, and I had some friends from church that they would always have those um oh cans of soup or chili or Something like that. They had a, you know, you could pull the, the lid off without having a can opener, you know, like a pop tab. Uh huh. So when they drove by someone that was in need, they would hand them a can of soup or chili or something like that and a plastic spoon. So I started doing that for a while. Yeah. Well, then some of these people said, well, I don't want that. I want money. Uh, I said, "Well, I'm not going to give you money."
0: Sorry. So that just kind of
1: takes it away from you, you know. Yeah. So I don't have any cans of soup or chili in my car or truck anymore. I put them in my pantry.
0: Mhm. But I think that's a good transition to our next question about community and, you know, our our social network, our friends, our family members, the people we choose to spend time with can can greatly influence our. Our mood uh, in a positive way. If we're hanging around, you know, positive, healthy people that you know edify us, and you know, iron sharpens iron. But it can also, on the other end of the spectrum, if we're hanging around the wrong kinds of people that are maybe negatively influencing us, uh, you know, not so so good on that. Uh, it, I've heard through your story and sharing it, and I've known it also just being connected to you for a long, long time that uh, you have strong pro-social networks and community members and, you know, you, you got one of your jobs through being in the choir because the lady heard it and said, Hey, talk to my husband who's standing right next to you. So what are some tips if people are maybe struggling, um, feeling like they're not connected? Cause there's a lot of people that are isolated right now, especially with, you know, the whole, don't touch anyone, don't shake hands, you know, <laughs> where everyone's wearing masks, we're not wearing masks or what's going on in the world. Um, Well, uh, you know,
1: church involvement really helped me. You know, because you know I'm I'm a social person, but yeah, um,
0: some people aren't. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, a lot of churches were
1: started as a a group meeting, so Uh that the people that come don't have to go to church. Yeah. Well, then they would end up becoming a church, and then they'd have to build a building. And everything, but yes, that really, that has been my rock for social work. Mm-hmm. It being involved in a church. That's how I met my wife, yeah, church connections.
3: Uh huh. Rebecca
1: was more socially organized than I am. She would yes. organize get together yes and parties and yes. figure out all that
0: stuff and I'm mm-hmm. not, not that way. But uh, yeah,
1: um, she was
0: a letter writer. Mm-hmm. I'm
1: not a letter writer. <laughs> but,
0: uh,
1: <laughs> if i sometimes i have to jump out of what i am uh-huh write a letter
0: <laughs> yeah
1: but for for these people that have no connections mhm you know we don't know their mental state we don't know if they've tickled their brains with drugs and that's probably why a lot of people now are socially reaching out you know you see these people pitching up Tents on private land
3: mm-hmm.
1: and, and public land. Uh-huh. And it's it's not right. So pretty soon people start to sour. And I remember a photograph of a a guy. He's at a corner. He has a sign, a cardboard sign. You know, um, need food, don't have a job, and all that. And right behind him in the store
3: mm-hmm.
1: is help wanted sign. We are hiring mm-hmm. Okay so the, the first impulse is, is well how come you know he's sitting on a corner but or that needs help Well then you just go, well, he's probably not qualified. So then you go well how can how, how can he be helped? Mm-hmm. He further sit out on a corner or in a tent, On someone else's property, Mm -hmm. but not go to work. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So some of the people that I've met with and we're having dinner or something, they're coming to the conclusion that most of this is laziness. Could be. They get get the free gift of money from the government Uh and they go, oh, I don't have to go out and work. Yeah. But yet, you know, the Bible says you work. You get paid if you don't work.
0: You don't, don't get be- paid. Yep. <laughs> That's right. So, but I had that that work ethic instilled in me because I always had to work. Yeah. Your parents had you do it at a young age. Do you encourage if people are listening to this show right now that have children that are maybe just being born and they're getting to that, you know, starting to make decisions for their uh, parenting? Do you encourage um, parents to have children working under the legal age limit for work. <laughs>
1: well, that's what I was just going to bring up. Yeah. The laws have changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like when I went to the berry fields,
3: mm-hmm. The
1: truck that picked us up was just the uh, a big truck, and we sat on wooden benches mm-hmm. under this canvas can in this truck. And he'd drive out to the berry farm in but it was on the River Road, mm-hmm. and we'd get out of the truck, we had our lunches and all that, we'd go pick berries and we'd have our lunch and then, well now the law says, no, you can't do that now.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then because the farmers, they're not getting that type of help, mm-hmm. you know, because having kids do the work was cheaper for the farmer, well now they have machines they go out there and pick the berries and scoop up the
3: oh. <laughs> the carrots and the potatoes. So oh. I don't think there's that opportunity for okay. at least like
1: elementary school mm-hmm. kids. But yes, they they should have chores around the house.
0: Yeah. You yeah, know, I agree.
1: be rewarded for the work that they do around the house. Some people pull that in an allowance and all mm-hmm. like that, but
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh That instills in them that they got to go to work. Now, the work ethic, I think, has really helped in kids that get into uh, athletics. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden they go, well, man, if I'm going to have to throw this football 50 yards, I got to, you know, I got to work out.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And they'll work, they'll work and work and work to build that body up.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: But they probably don't have to do anything else. You look at these bodybuilders. And they're paid to just, you know, lift weights and all that and get their muscles and all that. But if they had to do a nine-to-five job or mm-hmm.
3: a six-to-six
1: six job, mm-hmm. they would have time to do all that.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> They'd have to sleep sometime. Yeah. So, and the thing is, is people that
3: have the, the brains uh-huh.
1: and get into business, mm-hmm. you know, you don't get rich by working for somebody else.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And... Not all of us have that type of capability to start a online bookstore,
0: yeah, where you can just buy books online and become a billionaire, like Jeff Bezos. Yeah, <laughs> it's just you know, not everybody
3: can do that, mm-hmm.
0: and
1: then there's not enough room for
0: everybody in the society to do that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So,
1: so yeah, you got to establish a work work ethic yeah and I got kids you gotta you gotta
0: do that yeah and I'm right there with you on that you know dad had us I say mom too you know they were in agreement but dad really encouraged us to you know start working at a young age I think I had two jobs when I was nine you know I had the paper route with mom and had my mouse business and when that didn't work out Rebecca encouraged me to you know, I started getting into jewelry making with the necklaces uh, when I got to elementary school. And she's like, Have you ever thought about selling your necklaces to people? And I was like, Oh, I can make money doing that, you know, just planting seeds, you know? And it was something I was already doing that was, you know, a fun craft and then i had everybody buying it all my classmates my teacher you know she's like how about bracelets you know <laughs> but i wouldn't have thought about that from my my um parents necessarily other than just he you know, decided we were, at one point, getting allowance, and then I don't know if they had struggled financially, and he was like, nope, we ain't doing that anymore. Y'all getting jobs. So then we started all working, and he raised the standard in the home, and we all stopped complaining about <laughs> wanting things and desiring to purchase things, because then we started learning how much <laughs> it costs to make money, you know, uh-huh. all the time and the energy. So I think I think that transferred over to then studying harder and, you know, getting into college and then working in the workforce and putting more energy and time into it. I, I think, yes, it's, there's, there's an important factor in protecting children with child labor laws. Um, cause there are certain, you know, factories overseas that are working kids, you know, 12, 16 hour days, and they're not allowed to go to school cause they have to go and do their job instead. I don't think that that's healthy, but, um, you know, there's a time and a place for everything, and I think if if uh... right.
1: well, that's that's happened in
0: in you know world history. Uh-huh.
1: I mean, England was just killing their kids because they put them in the coal mines.
3: Oh, and,
1: uh, and they just they they you know the Irish and and they just they grew up doing that kind of stuff. Well, then in mm-hmm. Appalachia here in the United States, you know, way back, you know the Coal mining industry. The kids, you go through high school, then you go into the coal mines. Yeah. Then you get black lung disease. Then you die. Wow. And it was just a vicious thing, and uh, so that's when you know these labor unions and labor mm. laws are so mm-hmm. "Hey, this isn't right." Yeah. So you know, society had to go through a big struggle
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, to change those concepts and everything. And the depression, it was almost going back to that. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids have to go to work.
0: Hmm. I didn't know that. See, you're always full of knowledge. I'm always learning from you.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm losing you. What you
0: say? Oh, I said you're always full of knowledge. I'm always learning from you.
1: <laughs> oh, so thanks.
0: Well, that's because I watch a lot of TV. See? You know, we I've can learn. Lots, I read lots of books
1: when I was in school and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just... My eyes. I'm not a bookworm. Mm-hmm. I'll read histories and Bible studies and and uh, factual stuff. And I had to read a lot for my nuclear work, mm-hmm. in my shipyard. And you have to memorize all these things. But
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, as reading as a hobby or just for enjoyment, mm-hmm. I don't do that.
0: That's okay. You still learning stuff. Written.
1: Mm-hmm. I wait for the movie to come out.
0: See. We all learn in different ways. There's, uh, I think it was Gardner that developed the the seven different types of learning styles like kinesthetic, music, uh, audio, you know, visual, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, we all learn in different ways.
1: That guys are into that audio, visual. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, there's there's a lot of exceptions, you know, there's a lot of brainy men or males out Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. that can, you know, just look at a book and have it all memorized.
0: Yeah. But then they're very deficient in some of the other things. Yeah.
1: Uh, There's a a story that was put to a movie about the physicists that got together to develop the atomic bomb. Now here these guys are so intellectually high up in the, you know, just their minds are just Way out there mm-hmm. well it shows them they they're they're in a bus they're coming down to New Mexico to start to work to do their uh, work on the bomb mm-hmm. and the truck or the bus gets stuck in the sand and here all these brilliant people are in this bus and they can't figure out how to get this bus stuck in the sand out mm hmm <laughs> 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 but yet, you give them a piece of paper with all this math and f- physics on there, they can figure out all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And uh, it's just something. So there's, you, you got to have some common sense and practical things mm-hmm. on a whole field of knowledge. Yeah. But then you get old like me, and you go, oh, I don't want to change the tire in my car. So you just call up AAA. You just hired
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> because you
1: know, if you, if you change the tire on your car, you're going to get hurt.
0: <laughs> see, it's good to know thyself. And uh, and I agree. There's, I, I see a, I see everyone as having their areas of genius or areas of strength. And when, when we have our areas of strength and then we're aware of our areas of... I don't say of weakness, but just other areas that we can learn but it takes us ten times longer than it could take someone else. That's that's the power of community, right? Is learning that we're not islands unto ourselves, that we all need at least a few other people in our lives to help balance us out. Keeps us humble. We need we need a lot of people in our lives. Mm-hmm.
1: You you and I, if we're together, we can't dig a well for oil. Yeah. By ourselves. We can't build a refinery to make the oil usable. We we don't know how to, we can't do that. There's not enough hours in the day, so we rely on other people to do that. Of course, their work is based on
0: the past generation's work. Yeah.
1: And you look how the technology changes, but it's based on other people's work in past generations. Yeah. They, they, you know, a group of people get together and they figure something out. Oh, okay. So they, let's form a company. So a company that's a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's build airplanes. Okay. So that's kind of how Boeing started. Mm-hmm. This little barn down there by the Duwamish River, and William Boeing says, "You know, I can build a better airplane than Douglas can, or Lockheed." So he starts building airplanes. Mhm. And look what it's come to today. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's huge. And that's funny. It's random that you said that too cuz my roommate in college her dad sold the airplanes for Boeing. <laughs> oh. You never know who you're going to meet if you do decide to to do college as your your future. Yeah path and life and whatnot. Um, uh, okay, so next question. We, we talked a little bit about it. Um, so our third pillar of Move Happy is all about movement and how that can help with our mood, uh, whether it's, you know, walking, jogging, running. You, you did a lot of fitness stuff required when you were in the military. Uh, stretching, I remember you talking about stretching a lot on the job and whatnot. What are what are some of your favorite ways to move your body nowadays? <laughs> Now, uh uh-huh.
1: Putting down the foot on my recliner and getting up. <laughs>
3: That's fair. <laughs>
1: no, I uh, I have slowed down a lot. Mm-hmm. My physical activity now involves. Uh, I have a morning routine of cleaning my house. You know, putting the dishes in the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, going out to breakfast more than I should, <laughs> but then when I have to work outside, mm-hmm. you know, I. I mow my lawn. Mm -hmm. Do the the but that's my physical activity. Yeah. But I am limited now. I I'm. It takes me longer Mm -hmm. to do that. You know, in my twenties, thirties, and forties, I could mow my lawn, an hour, hour and a half. It's all done. Yeah. Now it takes me a block of four hours, because you know when my hips and knees start to burn. I just, I have to sit out. I have to rest. Yeah. And because of the damage in my lungs, you know, I huff and puff. And so it's a lot of times it, it takes me longer to do things. But I am following doctor's orders. They said you have to keep moving even though it hurts. Yeah. So I keep moving even though it takes me longer to do things. Mm-hmm. I used to go walking at the mall. You know, it was this is, you know, after Rebecca passed away and everything.
3: But, mm-hmm.
1: um... I found that it got to the point where I could hardly walk back to my car okay. after walking around the Tacoma Mall twice. Okay. Of course, when I started off, I started off half of the length, then the whole length, and then the two lengths. But I struggled to get into my car, and then my knees and hips would be so sore, mm-hmm. I'd be wasted for the rest of the day.
0: So two was too much.
1: Well, yeah. Well, even one was too much.
0: Okay. So what I did, so what I decided
1: that I'd much rather be productive
0: yeah. in my
1: body movement than mm-hmm. just go
0: walking. Yeah. Well, of course your doctors
1: say, well, walking's the best exercise. So I said, well, okay, I walk when I push my lawnmower. That's right. I you walk do. When I rake, I walk when I do my household chores. Yeah. So at my age now, because of my limitations, that's what I do. I move around. I walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I clean the garage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I pick up tubs
1: of Rebecca's pictures and things like that. And uh-huh. move around. And so that's what I got to do.
0: Yeah. Are you still stretching as well?
1: No. Not as much. one discipline I haven't
0: put into my routine. I gotcha. We can always add it later. It's just difficult because, you know, when your tendon's
1: already hurt, like my elbow i have like permanent tennis elbow Mm. so when i try to stretch it hurts yeah and then if i do it too much if i move my arm too much well then i can't use it anymore and i can't do my productive.
0: yeah so that that makes sense why you're not doing so much of that that makes sense well i think physical activity cleaning the house is a great way to move your body in gardening you do a lot of yard work and things like that that's that's good. As long as you're enjoying, you know, you do, you do what you well, can. If it's, if it's something that's making you feel like you're accomplishing something. That's, that's the part that, yes,
1: I'm accomplishing a task. I'm task oriented. Yeah. So like if I, I work on a project, you know, I want to finish it um, even though it hurts. So on my when I was re- renovating the inside of the house, the the painters spilled a bunch of paint on my radiators. Well, and then they didn't clean it up and all that. So I said, "Well, I'm going to have to sand the radiators and repaint them." Well, I knew it was going to hurt, and I tried to do it, you know, and everything. So over a span of about a year. <laughs> I sanded a radiator, and then I had to rest, and I did all these things, but it bothered me that I didn't accomplish the task. It's taken me too long. Of course, you got to fit in other areas of your life. You know, you got to sleep, you got to go to church, you got to go grocery shopping, you got to do all this stuff. So that really bugged me for a whole year. So I finally got it done Labor Day. They're all painted, put together. And that's a great feeling,
0: but it took a year. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: that's kind of what I I I do. I I had to move all these tubs of Rebecca's collections. I had to find homes for some of them. Mm-hmm. I had to stack them. I had them stacked in the living room up till maybe a month ago. Now I have them stacked in the back bedroom because that's all cleaned out, because mm-hmm. that was my workroom mm-hmm. to paint the radiators. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and so now that task is accomplished. Mm-hmm. Well, now during, during the winter, maybe into the spring, I'm going to have to sit down with each one of these tubs of photographs, scrapbooks, uh, family history, and go through and decide what to keep or what to throw away. Mm-hmm. Giveaway because mm-hmm. see I you know I've got a box full of like I told you before I've got a box full of pictures of your family history yeah and that needs to go to you guys yeah it doesn't do any good sitting in a box in my house and when it comes to the point of of me passing away my sister is just going to throw all this stuff away because that's the way she is. She's a purger. <laughs> she doesn't need any family history, especially of the Rices or with the Salters, or uh-huh. the Thomases. Yeah, you know, she's just going. She said, "So don't waste your time putting these photographs in books." She says, "Because nobody in the family wants them. Aww. My nieces and nephews don't want them. They don't want China. They don't want." Rebecca's collection of teacups and and things like that. They don't want them. Well, so Tina's gonna have to throw them away.
0: Yeah. Well, we definitely uh, we'll talk about that after the recording about that um, or another time. We definitely want uh, those photos of our history. At least I do. I'm interested well, in it. So I, we'll talk about that, contact, that
1: later. <laughs> we'll contact your mom.
0: Sounds uh, good. I don't
1: know where she. Where in the world is she?
0: Uh, we'll talk about that after the recording, and let's talk back about you. And so our next question, I always love to give my uh, guest an opportunity if they're selling something, if they've got a nonprofit, or if they're passionate about some service in the community, encouraging someone to either connect with you, um, go to your link. Well, I don't think you have any links for them to go to, but if you have a... Ministry or a non profit you'd like people to donate to if they if they like um what they heard and they'd like to support you in your story. Is there is there any organization you'd like to send people to or what's what's a way people can take action to
1: I I keep getting a lot of things from charities. I don't know where they got my name. <laughs>
0: but,
1: um, I get a ton of mail from every charity you can think of. Uh-huh. And then um, because I am supporting a candidate for office, uh-huh. I started getting a lot of political requests
0: oh, interesting.
1: for money. And I go, oh, I don't like this and all that. So I don't really have okay. a charity. Okay, um, You know, everybody needs money now.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But I would think that uh, uh, Wounded Warriors...
0: Yeah. Okay. VFW, uh, people that
3: that really need some help that have served our country. Yeah. Be a good place if they if
1: there's people that want to donate for that. But yeah. Uh, a lot of churches have um, a program. Uh, let's see, well, our church calls it benevolence. I don't know what other churches would call it.
3: Uh
2: huh.
1: But what, like, if you want to give money to the benevolence fund. Well then there is a group of people at the church that make the decision on well okay this money will only be used for benevolence and this person deserves it or this group deserves it yeah and then they said if you put on your check um I want this to go to something they said that we uphold that we send that money to that charity or like uh, some people have uh, put down like I want this money to go to Israel Uh for example well then they have obligated themselves to honor that they will send that money to Israel through whatever channel so now I go to a Missionary Alliance Church okay so they have they have missionaries everywhere that the church the local church supports and so you can send money that way, but that's through a missions fund. Okay. So I don't really, I can't identify anything that uh, other people would want to contribute to, but um, I think anything for the veterans you know, would
0: yeah. be awesome. I love it. Do. I love it. So, if anyone's hearing the story and they and they feel connected to you, um, please donate to either Wounded Warrior or any kind of missions fund or your local uh, church. Because I imagine there's a lot of churches that are probably shutting down because they're not getting enough uh, tithing and whatnot. Um, yes. So,
1: everybody's struggling because yeah. COVID messed up
0: everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, we like to keep it light for our last question, something fun and random. So, if you could be any plant or tree, what would you be and why?
1: (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) hmm. I like the beauty of evergreen trees. Okay. Douglas fir, western hemlock, the things that we have here in Washington State. Mm Mm-hmm. But to be practical,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would like to be maybe a fruit-bearing tree, okay, to provide food.
0: That's smart. <laughs>
1: so, uh, and of course, it takes thirty to fifty years to grow a tree, like a Douglas fir or a Western hemlock, before it can be really productive. Hmm. A fruit tree takes maybe five years to grow from a sapling to producing fruit.
3: Huh. And,
1: uh, but at least that would provide nourishment for somebody.
0: Yeah, I didn't so know that.
1: I go, <laughs> I go well, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll be fruity. I'll you know, <laughs> <the> fruit tree.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Any particular fruit tree? Well, I'm always partial to apple trees yeah there's so many variety of apples now that and of course i enjoy apples and Mm -hmm. that's one fruit that i'm not allergic to perfect i love it well this has been really fun uncle tim thank you again so much for being a part of the show that's a wrap folks thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the move happy movement podcast we hope that you learned something hope that we add value to you today and if you did learn something or something stood out to you it would mean the world to us if you would share it with someone you care about and if that friend or family member that you care about is not in close proximity to you and you want to share something on social media uh, tag us feel free um We are on all major social media platforms. Um, Just look for the move happy symbol and with the little R circled and, uh, or you can tag me Erin Nicole on LinkedIn specifically. And we'll be back onto posting in the future when the person in our circle corrects us wrong and gets us that meeting with top level leadership. Until then, We hope that we're continually adding value, spreading love around the world and helping to empower you to find happiness from within. You can check out our downloads for the listening room competition if the creator desires for us to get that back up and rolling. Once we hit the 10,000 downloads mark, you can check that at any time, 24-7. Just go on the website themovehappy.podbean.com. All right, love you guys. See you next time. Don't forget to tell someone you love them today.